Greetings ladies and managers, and welcome to this latest video for Retreat Hell, taken from the subreddit HFY. The link to the original is down below, and if you enjoy the story, head over there and let the author know. If you wish to support this channel, there are many ways to do so, also, strangely enough, listed down below. Don't forget to subscribe, or we'll have a platoon of angry cat-like creatures attacking you in your sleep. Anyways, on to the sci-fi. I would like to give a quick thanks to our Tier 5 channel members and patrons. Fallen Angel Buzz Killington Thank you, again. Now on to the story. Retreat Hell, Chapter 15, Part 2 Ugh, my head feels like mush, Bradford said as they trudged into the gym. Swear to God, if after going to one more strategy seven or training planning session, my brains will ooze out of my head and have be mopped up on the floor. Don't worry, Jabs, Edison said, tapping her arm. We've got your favorite activity to make up for it. Picking up heavy things and uh, putting them back down. Damn straight, she laughed. Edison said, flexing his arms in front of him. She hulk strong. Laughing, she gave him a shove hard enough to send him staggering off to the side. Stronger than you, pencil arms. Why do we keep having to sit through all these seminars anyway? Kimber asked. We're marines. You don't put us in a classroom. You give us a gun and you point us at whatever you need destroyed. To figure out how to train the next guys, Bradford said. Stepping out over the weight bench. Got my spot. Rin and Edison paired up by a couple of benches by the dumbbell rack nearby, whilst the rest of the squad dispersed through the gym. Sure, Kimber said, stepping over the weight rack. How much to start? Fifty on the bar to warm up a bit, then up from there. Cool, he said, grabbing the weight. And what do you mean, figure out how the train in the next guys? The next guys, she said, locking the weight on her side of the bar, then sitting down on the bench. The next group of marines and artificers, or soldiers and artificers, or whatever the frigalsh gets sent through the program. She took a grip on the bar and Kimber moved into position at the head of the bench. And with barely a grunt, she shoved it off the rack and started doing reps. When did we get put into a program? Kimber asked. We're not in a program, Bradford grunted out between reps. We're pathfinding it, the training program that integrates artifices and the U.S. military. After several reps, she shoved the bar back up onto the racks and stood up, wiping sweat off with a towel as she switched places with Kimber. You think they're making this a program? Kimber asked, heaving the bar off the rack and starting his own set of reps. Break yeah, they are. No putting the cat back in the bag. We're just kind of a pilot, fumbling our way through, figuring crap out for people that'll come next. Hadn't really thought of that, Kibber said, putting the bar back and then the rack after he set. Bradford snorted as she grabbed more weight for the bar. You're a marine, you don't get paid to think. Good thing too, she winked at him. I'm straight, he laughed locking a matching weight on the other side of the bar and moving back to the spot of position. 
their conversation tapered mostly off to insults and encouragement as they added more weight with each rep. They were just locking another set of weights on the bar when Kowalski called over. Kimber, we need you. Coma thinks that he's wrestling champion. Kimber glanced at Bradford, but Edison spoke up. Go ahead, man. I'll spot for her. Ha! Bradford snorted. Spotter needs to be able to at least help lift the weight that's being benched, and that ain't happening with your pencil arms, and I could probably bench a yacht for reps. She glanced at him. No offense. He shook his head with the dismissive ear flick. None taken. Ah, I bet you good, Edison said. Kimber, can't man, Jabs is gonna bench shields. What? Jabs is gonna bench shields. Bradford laughed, glancing at the bewildered run. Man, gotta see this, Alder said, elbowing his way to the front of the crowd that spontaneously formed around the weight bench. It felt like half the Echo Country was there. Hey, how many reps do you bet you can do with him? Kowalski asked, hustling to the crowd even as it formed. Bradford looked at Ren again as a pair of marines lifted the bar out of the way. He was shoved towards the bench. His ears drooped in defeat. No, she said, shaking her head. I'm not benching him. But Jams, Kemba said before she interrupted him. Dude, he's... What? 110? She raised an eyebrow, head run. 115 soaking wet with a brick in your pocket. He shrugged his ears, flicking the end of his tail at her. I just repped 130, she said, pointing her thumb at the bar, and up to 145. I've got nothing to prove by benching a yacht. Ah, come on, Jabs, Kowalski said. It's not about proving nothing. It's about being funny. I said no, Kowalski. He opened his mouth to argue, and she narrowed her eyes into the icy glare. She saw a swift flip of the whole demeanor as he shut his mouth and nodded. Aye, Sergeant. He turned and waved at the other marines as he walked away. All right, you heard the sergeant. No fun to be had here today. Go freak back off to your own bullcrap. Oh, and Kimber, Goma says that he can whip your ass an armbar sleeper in ten seconds or less. Wait, that's not even a... God damn it. Kimber turned to chase after Kowalski. That dumb boot don't know crap. Radford watched the crowd disperse, then turned to Rin and Edison, the only two still left nearby. So, I'm guessing we're doing girls, then. Yeah, I guess so, Edison said, sitting back down on the bench before the implied insult clicked. Oh, uh, he scoffed. Frank you. Bradford laughed, giving him a wink, and then she grabbed a couple of dumbbells and joined Rin on the other end of the bench. He flicked a grateful ear at her, briefly touching her shoulder with his tail. She went back. Hey, uh, where are lovebirds? Kowalski asked, walking out of the head. Davies frowned at him over the switch. Oh, God, dude, Samson said, waving his hand in front of his face. The door swung shut. His rack was right next to the head door. Did you just crap out a dead animal? Light a freaking candle or something. Ain't nothing that destroys a crapper better than an MRE on the way out. Kowalski said with a proud smile. But seriously, though, where's Jabs and Shields? I've got some more matchmaking planned. Jabs is at a briefing, Dewar said, 
checking the gear in his pack. At this hour, dude, it's like 20 hundred. Yep, she wasn't any happier than you about it, but we've got the exercises tomorrow, and all the planning has been crunched into way too little time for it. Meh, it's a freaking crap show, from what I've heard. Kimber chimed in, rolling up sets of freshly washed socks. What about shields? I had been strategizing some one-on-one matchmaking tactics for him that I could use instead. Edison glanced over him, over his tools, but decided to let the word mangling slide. He's at the nightly tutor sessions with Tetya. They got extended now that he's a savant. Oh, frick, Kowalski said, dropping down to the rack across from Edison. There goes my plans for the evening, he sighed and waved at a half-disassembled GoPro. Any luck with saving the old girl? Edison sighed and set these tools down, shaking his head. I'm afraid not. The camera is straight up fricked. It technically works, but it only shows half the image, half the screen is cracked, and the camera lens itself is cracked. Can't fix it, and I don't think I can get any kind of replacement parts for it. We'll have to get a new one... R.I.P. GoPro, Stefan said, crowding. Man, I really thought you could save it, Kowalski said, leaning forward to give it a closer look. Yeah, I thought I was going to, but the sensor behind the lens is pricked, but, um, he held a good finger. But I did manage to get the power up again, and the onboard memory is still good. Oh, you got the fight? I got the fight, Alder grinned spinning his laptop around, and a few other videos, whatever was left of the camera. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I already got them on my laptop here. Let me show you them. He twisted around, dragging his open laptop off his bunk and turning it so Kowalski and the others could see. He was quickly surrounded by the rest of his squad. Ha! He got the barracks party before the portal opened, and the man scrambled after the portal opened. Well, all 30 seconds you were able to film. Hey, what's this one? Which one? This one here. The timestamp is after the battle. Huh. I don't know. Let's find out. Edison clicked on the video and started playing. There was a sound of rustling and shouting, and what little of the video that wasn't garbled spun around for a moment before jerking to a stop with a muffled thunk. Go with them and make sure that they don't get into too much trouble, they heard Bradford say. Hi, Dabs, the boss said. There was another thunk and a rustle, shifting the camera again. Two people like shapes could be seen. As silence fell, the camera slowly struggled to bring the image into focus. It blurred and unblurred in fits and starts, before finally settling in on something that was mostly in focus. Rin and Bradford could be seen in the background. Why do you tolerate him and his insubordination? Rin asked. There was an occasional crackle, and he was slightly muffled, but otherwise clear. Bradford laughed. Kowalski is a complete balls-to-the-wall motard. Motivation retard. Kowalski frowned, but put on a blank face as Bradford talked about him, and his past then apologized to Rin for bringing it up. Recent memories. He brushed it off, then Bradford put a hand on his shoulder. You can talk to me about it, if you need to. 
I don't know if it works the same way with Kishman, but for humans, at least, talking about it usually helps. Ridden, locked up, even in the mangled, wordy focused video, they could see him go rigid. The stutter and whined. He stared into space for a long moment, then whispered, My home is gone. Kowalski growled, Turn it off! What? Edison paused the video. I said, Turn it off! That's not for us to see. But no! Delete it. I shove, Yes, delete it. If Shields wants to talk about that crap with us, he'll talk about it with us. Otherwise, it's private. Between him and Jabs only. Delete it. And not a freaking word about it either of them. Got it? Forget you ever freaking saw it. Jeez. All right, man. Message received. Edison said, dragging the video into the recycling bin and then emptying it. I'll make sure the rest of these aren't corrupted or anything, then get them uploaded to the cloud. Cool, Kowalski said, gripping his shoulder and the squad dispersed. Thanks. Yeah, no problem, man. Kowalski nodded and headed towards the door. Who's up for some black ops? Several chorused in affirmative and the crowd moved to the building's common area. Later that evening, when the rest of the squad had gone to participate in or watch Kowalski's impromptu Train of Pain Call of Duty tournament, Davy slipped back into the bunk room, snagged the GoPro, and stepped over to his own rack and pulled out a small notebook. Plugged the GoPro in and powered everything up. And, for a few moments later, copied the newest video to a special folder buried deep on his hard drive. That's my third trip to Earth, Red thought, looking out the side of the helicopter. They had passed high over endless tracts of what Rin would consider city sprawl, with the ocean in view from that height, but now they were flying over the mountains and forests. Several other helicopters and ospreys flew in formation with them. It wasn't nearly as many as had carried the entire battalion in his first trip in a helicopter. Most of the battalion would be driving in on ground assault but every squad with an artificer assigned was participating in an air assault of their targets. Riding in a self-propelled carriage isn't much different than riding in a regular carriage, he thought as the helicopter banked to the left and came down. This, though, uh, this takes some getting used to. They approached their landing zone, and the pilot brought them in for a quick but surprisingly gentle landing. Marines started shouting, and everyone bailed out, Weapons up, sweeping the perimeter as they quick-stepped away from the wording contraption that brought them here. Rin moved right with them, stave at the ready. As soon as they were clear, the helicopter lifted off, quickly replaced by the Osprey, disgorging more marines and a somewhat disheveled artificer. Yenyed staggered over to Rin and dropped to his knees as the squads linked up with each other. He quirked and near at him. First time. Yenyad flicked his ears and made a rude gesture at him. These people are crazy. He glanced at Rin, and I think they're rubbing off on you. Rin laughed and offered his old friend a hand as the marines began heading out. Come on, we're on the move. Already, we just got here. But we're not where we're going to get yet. Yin Yat grumbled as he hauled himself to his feet, 
It's just like the royal host. Hurry up. Go here. No, never mind. Go over there now. No, 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 forget that. We want you all the way over there now. Why aren't you there yet? Giving Yen Yen a pat on the back, Rin laughed as he walked away. That's why they run. In all the skit, odds above. An hour later, they were climbing into our Humvees on the other armored carriages, linking up with the rest of the battalion. They raced to several different points, piling out the back of each time, sometimes engaging in skirmishes. It was all make-believe, but the gunshots were real, sort of. The marines had fitted plugs at the end of their barrels, and they were shooting black rounds, all powder and no bullet. The first time they were piling back into the vehicles, Tetya misstepped and fell into the back of the LAV, clanging his head against the upper door frame. Growling in pain, he staggered back from the vehicle, clutching his head and nearly brought the whole exercise to a halt. I'm fine, fine, he insisted when two corpsmen rushed over to check him. Took it on the horn, it's what it's meant for. He reached up and tugged his left horn flinched and immediately switched to giving his right horn a good hard tug and a slap. The corpsman insisted on checking him for a concussion, but eventually gave him the clear bill of health, and he joined the rest of the squad in the back of the LAV. Their recon in false exercise ended with all the artifices being sent forward to an advanced position, where they took turns spotting for and calling out artillery strikes. It was a crash course that mostly had them repeating scripts. But by the end, Rin felt confident that he understood the basic concept and the litany. I'm not confident that I'll be able to remember any of the useful decrees in this future, but hopefully they'll give us a few refreshers. After their artillery exercise, they helped set up a mock FOB. This was real practice for what they would be doing once the counter-offensive began. Hanrun found it interesting for the reason alone, though it involved a lot of digging and fitting sandbags. Their mock FOB constructed and a cold MRNE's Benny, Rin collapsed in a hole with the rest of the Marines. He was exhausted. He had a rock in his ear and Kimber's elbow digging into one of his livers. But it was comfortable enough. He was out three seconds after his head hit the ground. Another three seconds later, he was being shaken awake. Nayat! A marine he didn't recognize whispered. It's 0230. Briefing in 15, outside the platoon tent. Wondering where the last five hours went, and why they had slept in foxholes instead of the tent, he crawled out of the hole, giving Kimber a kick to make sure that he was awake. Walking up out to the tent, Ren almost tripped over the other marines crouched there. It was so dark. There was no moon, and the only the stars for light. He looked up at them. They didn't look strange at the first glance, but the more he looked, the more he noticed the absence of familiar constellations. Shields, down here, someone whispered. He looked down, then crouched down to join the other marines. A poncho was thrown over his head, and he found himself in an awkward huddle with a dozen marines. A red light clicked on, and everyone shifted, trying to get the map Bradford was holding. All right, she said. We're here. Damn it. Here, Samson. Hold the freaking light. Hi, Sergeant. Ah, Frick, 
That's my hand. Sorry, Gomez said as the whole ladle shifted. Hey, lock it up. Pay the frick attention, Radford whispered. We're here. Radford tapped on the map. After we shelled the crap out of them, the bad guys have moved to a new position and set up in a compound to the north. They've dug in pretty good up there. We're preparing an assault in their base. But before we hit them, we have to take out the forward outpost that they have set up here. She tapped the map. Mostly dug in infantry with mortars and AT. Maybe a technical or two. She traced a path from their position below their target at around. Orders are to slip around them to the south and come at them from the east at dawn. We'll come over this region and the sun at our backs, at close range, and tear them a new arsehole. With any luck, we'll catch them with their pads down. She then took a breath. The crampy part is that it's two and a half hour hike, and we've got three hours to be there. No lights, no radios until we got hot. Any questions... There were a few muttered words, but nobody had anything to ask. All right, Radford snapped the light off and stood up. Last chance for a piss break, and then we move out in ten. The world is green. There's a limerick about this. I know there is. Rin had been shown the night vision goggles before, but this was the first time that he'd been given a set of his own. The green tint of everything was weird and he had to be careful because they threw off his sense of depth perception. But above and below, they worked. This changes so many things. His fascination with the goggles was almost enough to overcome the exhaustive pace that the humans were setting. Almost. They had been on the march for over two hours now, and he felt like he had scrambled over half the planet. I'm used to long marches, but above and below... This is terrible. The marine ahead of him crouched, holding up a hand, and Rin eased himself to his knees, panting hard. Radford came into view. We're almost there, she whispered. Five minute break, hydrate, catch your breath. We're sneaking the rest of the way. Rin nodded, pouring out his canteen to guzzle water. The break ended all too quickly, though, and he had to stow the canteen again. They were on the move. They were slow and careful in their movements, and they crawled the last hundred yards. Finally, in the dim grey light of pre-dawn, they were in position. As the sky grew lighter, he took off his night vision goggles and carefully stowed them away. They had become a prized possession, but they would be of little use now. Creeping up to the very edge of the ridge, he waited and waited. Glancing down the line, his peripheral vision was stabbed by the sun's edge cresting the horizon. He flinched away from the glare. He saw Bradford and several other marines with grenade launchers pushing themselves up to a leading position in the response to relayed hand signals. Hit him! Captain Spader called, immediately followed by the stuttering of th th thump as several grenade launchers went off. The rounds dropped into the enemy camp and immediately began spewing smoke. Several machine guns opened up, boring into the outburst, though any destruction was purely imaginary. Shields! Spader called, and Rin brought his shields up, doing his part. Two other shield screens went up, and then the marines were all up and moving. 
They surged forward, laying down fire as they advanced under the shields until they found cover twenty yards closer. There, they all ducked down while the machine guns laid down fire, and three other artifices put up shields while Rin and the first three focused on offensive. It was all stun blasts, so nothing blew up or caught on fire, but it was still an impressive display. The outpost was 50 yards from the edge of the ridge, and they covered the remaining distance in two more bounds. Nearly a hundred marines swept through the camp, quickly neutralizing any remaining threats and declaring it clear. Not that there was anyone actually there, he thought. Almost everything we've been shooting at has been imaginary. Hey, LT, one of the marines from Yenyet's platoon called out. We found something funny over here, looks like a... He was cut off by a loud pop as paint spattered all over him and his buddies. Frick! Something zipped past Rin, and little splotches of paint popped up on the wall and all over the marines standing next to him. Ah! Frick! Kemba said, ducking for cover. Ambush! Rin threw up his shield, a few seconds too late for Kimber, as a dozen more Simrounds splashed apart in midair. Marine stove for cover and began returning fire. Are you freaking grabbing me? Kowalski said. We've got blanks and they've got freaking Simrounds. How is this freaking fair? How are we supposed to freaking fight this? Life's not fair, Radford shouted lobbing a smoke grenade in the general direction of the enemy fire, before ducking down as a spray of some rounds splattered into the shield in front of her. Suck it the freck up and find a way to win, anyway. Contact, Rhea, someone shouted as the some rounds came zipping in from the ridge that they had just assaulted from, smashing against another shield. Captain Spader, Captain Spader, Radford shouted, waving the officer over. Moving up to a corporal in tow, he slid into cover with them. Sergeant Bradford, he said, why aren't your men shooting back? Bradford opened her mouth to speak and then frowned. She rolled over and looked at the rest of the squad. What the frick are you waiting for? Light him up! Kowalski looked at her and then shrugged. He hefted his saw and popped up the cover. Frickin' get some, you frickin' wussies! He shouted something more, but whatever it was... Rin couldn't hear it over the gun. Following Kowalski's example, the rest of the squad leaned out from the cover and began returning fire, albeit in a more controlled manner. Soon, the whole camp was lit up with gunfire. That's more like it, Sergeant! Spader nodded and then looked out of the camp and more some rounds splashed against the shield. It's still a friction, though. They've got us boxed in on all sides. Bradford smiled. Sounds like we can attack in any direction, sir. Spader looked at her and nodded. What's the best way to get out of an ambush, Sergeant? Fight through it, sir, she said with a grin. Excellent. Well, there's some cover over there on the western edge of the camp, and that's where the Xville was supposed to be. So take your men over there and punch us a hole the frick out of here. Aye, aye, sir, Bradford nodded. She glanced over at the western edge of the camp then turned to the second squad. Up and at em, boys. We're heading west. Leapfrog to the dumpsters. Kowalski, Miller, Gomez, you're up. Covering fire, Spader shouted as the three men stacked up. The squad lit up a concentrated barrage, 
Hanrin extended his shield to cover them as far as he could. Dewar Kimber Stephens Alder, you're next. The next twenty minutes were filled with moving and shooting as Second Squad punched a hole in the enemy line, allowing a mixture elements of Second Battalion to break out of the ambush of the camp. Rin was reminded that some rounds still hurt like hell when a pair of enemy shooters popped up unexpectedly. He swung his shield to block them effectively, but he didn't pay enough care to keeping them covered from the main force chasing them. The pursuit tapered off as they managed to find a good cover position and dug in. Then the Kishmen all got to take turns calling in airstrikes on their pursuers. The actual target zones were a mile away and in the wrong direction, but they got the basics across and it was all good fun. An hour later and they were rescued by the rest of the 2nd Battalion, along with a platoon of tanks. Rin got a ride on one, and they even managed to find some time for him to pose for a few pictures. By lunchtime, they were all assaulting the enemy stronghold, after peppering it with airstrikes and long-range fire from the tanks. As they approached the compound, they all dismounted and stacked up behind the tank, using it as cover as they moved in. Rin and the other artificers put up shields for even further protection, and in almost no time, the compound was secure. The marines got to kick in a bunch of dolls and spray blanks in the faces of a bunch of mannequins, and everyone had a good time. Well, that wraps it up, Bradford said, slinging her rifle over her shoulder. We're officially Phoenix. Sweet, Stephen said, then looked around. Um, dude, uh... Where's our ride? Yeah. They weren't expecting us to walk back to Tolkien, were they? Tobar asked. Maybe we're supposed to hitchhike, Samson suggested. Well, Bradford said, we actually finished up a little early. They weren't expecting us to be done for another hour or so. And I heard the LT talking to the Captain Spader. Apparently, there was a mix-up on when the trucks were supposed to come and pick us up. They don't even have drivers ready to come and get us yet. Well, Frank... I can drive, Kowalski said. Well, if you want to hump your ass back to the motor pool and grab a truck, go right ahead. Eh, I didn't want to drive anyway. So how long is it going to be before our rides get you? Edison asked. Probably an hour, maybe two. Hurry up and wait, I, he said. Oh, yep, she nodded. I do have some good news, though. Let me guess, we're getting deployed, Godmass said. No, we're already deployed, and this is actually good news, she smiled. First, the big USO show on the 4th is confirmed. She paused and elicited a few cheers. Second, us, that is Javelin Squad, we played with both Weapons Company, and the squad from Foxtrot Company are getting to go on liberty in the Kishman town of Chakya, about five clicks north of the portal on Sunday. What? No freaky way. Ah, frickier! Hey, shields, do they have a brothel? Don't answer that question, Bradford sighed, rubbing her face. Rin just sighed with her, rolling his ears. We've got a liberty brief at 0800 tomorrow. Don't be late, and don't frick this up. We're the first marines going on liberty in Granlin soil. So, frick this up, you frick it up for everyone. Don't worry, Jabs, old Kowalski got the squad away, Kowalski said giving her a two-finger salute. That's exactly what I'm worried about, Kowalski, she deadpanned. 
Just don't prick this up for everyone else, and don't be late to the briefing. Don't know, Sergeant, it's going to be kind of hard to show up in time if our freaking ride never shows up. He waved his hand dramatically at the road that was distinctively empty of vehicles. Oh, quit your bitching. You sound like Davies, Kimber said, giving Kowalski a shove. Hey, I take offense to that, Davies said. Prick that. I take offense to that, Kowalski shouted, turning to tackle Kimber. You take that back. Make me, bitch. They both fell to the ground, tussling. Goma, Kowalski shouted as Kimber rolled on top of him. Sick him! Radford sighed, pinching her nose. They weren't the only marines who had started wrestling around, and she could see an all-out brawl simmering to a boil as pumped-up marines started to get bored. Frick! She sighed, then stepped forward to give both Kimber and Kowalski a kick. Hey, all of you guys, listen up. Oh, the crowd of marines shouted as Samson went flying. He rolled and came back to his feet, immediately charging for another grapple. The corporal from Weapons Company he was squaring off against was ready for him, though, and Samson went flying again. He landed poorly this time and just laid in the dirt for several seconds. The wind knocked out of him. We have a winner, Kowalski cried, holding up the victorious marine's hand. The crowd cheered. This was a pretty good idea, Bradford, Rickles said, stepping up beside her to watch the next match. Thanks, Staff Sergeant, she said, but it just seemed like the obvious thing. They were bored and wrestling around anyway. Might as well give them some structure and get them practicing MC map. They're less likely to hurt themselves, and they get some training value out of it. The crowd cheered as the sparring marines both ended up in the dirt, and a new winner was declared. Something even the most obvious thing to do doesn't happen until someone takes the initiative to make it happen, Rickles said. And that's obvious in hindsight isn't always obvious at the time. The Marines cheered as the crowd's favorite stepped back into the makeshift ring. Though this has been more of a spectacle than a training opportunity for almost an hour now. Bradford shrugged. They're still occupied and out of trouble, Staff Sergeant. He snorted laugh. Fair enough. The crowd roared as their favorite was defeated in a big upset, then cheered the victor as Kowalski edged them on. Rickles frowned. Gonna ask, though, why did you make Kowalski a ref? She shrugged again. He keeps him busy and out of trouble, and a place to his ego and need for attention. So he'll want to keep doing it. She waved at the cheering crowd, and he's good at keeping everyone's attention. Rickles gave an appraising glance. You know it would work out this well. Absolutely freaking not, Staff Sergeant. He shook his head, slapping her on the back. Next time just say yes, Sergeant. He smirked and walked away. Yes, Staff Sergeant, she said, watching him go. A part of her kicked herself for saying something wrong. With a small sigh and a shake of her head, she put it out of her mind. She was just tired. It had been a long, busy week. Hopefully, our ride back to base will be here soon, she thought, stepping forward to get a better look at the next match. And who will challenge our latest champion, the mighty Corporal Sheamus? Kowalski demanded of the crowd. I will, Petya shouted, raising his hand. He cleared his throat, putting on a deeper voice. 
I'll take him on. And a surprise challenger from the Kishman corner stands against the fighting Irish. The crowd cheered, and a few marines from Tetch's squad gave him encouraging pats on the back. His ears poked up in surprise, and the first smile of true confidence Bradford had seen from him had crept across his face. You all know the rules, first to three tosses, or to pin the other in three seconds wins. That said, as the two combatants squared off against each other. No cheating! He wagged a finger at Tetcher, who wagged an ear back, an excited smile on his face. All right, contestants, ready? He put on his best mortal combat voice. Fight! Seamus moved first, but Tetcher was ready for him. With a quick step and a twist of his hips, he sent the large marine tumbling before he could get a good grapple. And Tetcher takes a surprise lead at the first point. Kowalski cried as the crowd cheered, each combatant squadmate scoring out encouragements and insults. They squared off again. Round two. Fight! Seamus came in with more caution this time, and it was Tetcher who made the first move. They grappled, and Tetcher tried to choke Seamus from his feet, but ended up throwing himself. The fighting Irish drives in with a strong comeback, Kowalski cried, enlisting more cheers from the crowd. Tetcher dusted himself off and settled back into a fighting stance across from Seamus, a determined set in his ears. Round three, fight! The human and Kishman held still like gunfighters at high noon. With a twitch of movement, they both jumped at each other. They grappled, but neither could get a good hold, and a mutual twist in the same direction sent both of them to the ground. Ooh! The crowd cried as they rolled in the dirt. Seamus ended up on top. Bradford could see his hold clearly wasn't very good, but he had a massive weight advantage and was using it. Is this it for our challenge? Kowalski cries. He's at one! Two! Flicking his tail up, Tetcher wrapped it around Seamus's face and pulled back on his head. The force wasn't that great, but it was something the Marine hadn't expected. He reached up on instinct, releasing the hold on Tetcher's arms. With a shove and a twist of his hips, the Kishman seized the moment and threw Seamus off, practically slithering out from under him and propping him to his feet. Caught by surprise and off balance, Seamus was left sprawled in the dirt. Oh! Kowalski shouted as the crowd went wild. Snatched from the jaws of defeat, Detcher takes the lead. They reset. Detcher grinned like a devil while Seamus gave him a determined glare. Two to one, Kowalski shouted. Is this their final round? Round three! Fight! Bullying forward, Seamus was obviously blanking hard on his weight advantage. But Tetcher dropped low, driving his head and shoulders into the marine's stomach and hooking his arm between his legs. They grappled. Seamus had the greatest strength, but Tetcher had gained the leverage. Stepping in, he destabilized the marine's stance. Seamus tried to power through, but with a grunt of effort, Tetcher started to tip him backwards. Oh! Tetcher gets the upper hand. Is this it for the fighting Irish? The crowd egged them on. Knowing he was losing, Seamus grabbed for some better grip. Finally, in the desperation, he latched onto the kissman's left horn and pulled. Ah! Tetcher growled, trying to resist, but the marine's superior strength won out. 
With a growl of his own, Seamus gave a sharp pull, and the Kishman's grip slipped. He twisted in his hips and sent him tumbling away with a sharp crack. Tedja hit the dirt, rolled and bounced back to his feet, and silence fell as everyone stared in horror at the horn still clutched in Seamus's right hand. Oh, shit, dude. I'm a wreck, he said, his gaze bouncing between Tetcher and the broken horn. Radford turned to Tetcher, seeing his ears fold back and his eyes go wide in terror. She looked at the surviving nub of his horn, and was surprised to see that it was clearly a button horn with bits of glue that had broken pieces of horn stuck to it. What the frick, she thought. Her own eyes went wide as it clicked. Anya beat her to the punch, however. She's a woman, he cried, pushing through the crowd to the point of accusing a finger at Tetya. Panic lit the savant's eyes, snapping him out of his shock, followed by magic, as his, no, her, hands lit up, preparing to fight. A stun bolt slapped into her chest as Anya fired his star from his hip. She staggered back, but her armor had dampened the blow, and she powered through it. Anyo's second shot was too much for her, though, and she fell backwards into the marines behind her. The two men of her squad caught her, keeping her upright, though badly. A pin dropped, then chaos ensued. Everyone started shouting as Anya raised his staff, lining up for a third shot. Before he could fire, Captain Spader pulled him over, tearing the weapon from his hand. Corpsman! Kowalski shouted over the din. Two more marines grabbed Anya holding him back as he tried to swing at Spader. Lord Ayan stepped into the closing circle, a dagger in hand. Seeing the blade, Kowalski moved to intercept him, but the lithe Kishman dodged out of the way, his tail whipping around to maintain balance. Before anyone could stop him, he deftly cut the bindings of Tetra's gambeson, tearing it open, following it by a tunic. One of the marines holding Tetra up grabbed his hand, but Ayan dropped the dagger, and pulled away, revealing the bindings and pads Tetra had used to make her chest look flat. This is treason, dishonor, he screeched, working himself into a fit as he struggled against the marines holding him. She's a treacherous snake. Treacherous snake, Radford shouted, anger flaring as the shock wore off. She stepped towards him, her fists bald and ready to strike. If she's that, then what the frick am I? The night captain glared at her, but she never got his answer. Attention! On deck! Barax's voice cut across the din. Silence fell as the marines all straightened. Make a hole! Winters demanded, and the crowd parted. She marched in, Michaels, Barakas, and Yushai not far behind him. What the hell's going on here? That year is a fraud, Anyo said, shrugging off the marines who'd been holding him. A disgraceful woman! deceiving and dishonoring us all. Bradford took a step towards Anya as the two men from Tetra's squad stepped forward to defend her. And you were, Marines! Winter snapped, fixing them with an icy glare. They all froze, and she turned to fix Anya with what looked as frigid as her name. She pretended to be something she wasn't so that she could fight for her country. I hardly call that treasonous. Certainly not given that she's the most powerful artificer that you've ever seen, in your own words. Anyo's ears twitched and spasmed. He opened his mouth, looking ready to fly into an apologetic fit. Enough, Night Captain, Yishai shouted. 
You're making a spectacle of yourself. His ears flew up in surprise, then swept back against his skull as his jaw snapped shut. He lowered his head, but still shook as he was visibly seething. Winters turned to Chencher, glancing her up and down. The effect of the stun blast seemed to have worn off, but she sagged in a total defeat now that her ruse had been exposed. Who are you? Really? Winters asked. Sire, Yagi, my lord, ma'am, she said, her ears hanging listlessly on either side of her head, her ears not lifting from the dirt. Without any false baritone, her voice was soft and clear. Radford suspected that she had a good singing voice. And why'd you go through all of this? Winters asked, waving at her horns and outfit. My pard beat me any time he saw me doing magic, said it weren't for girls, and there weren't nobody around who would teach a girl magic, not even in secret, except maybe some healing bits, and I weren't no good at that. She looked up at Winters. Her eyes were wet and heavy with defeat, but edged with a defiant anger. And I wanted to get back in the owls for killing my big brother. Winters studied her for a moment, then nodded. She glanced at the two corpsmen standing by the edge of the crowd. Take her to the medivac vehicle and get her checked out, and then take her to medical back on Tolkien for a full examination. She waved at the last two marines who stepped forward to defend Tetya. You two go with them. She turned to face HM2 on Wachu specifically, and let medical know that I have uh, questions. Aye, aye, ma'am. Alan Ruaju said, and then turned to Saya. This way, please. Winters turned to Michaels as the six of them shuffled away. He gave her a slight nod, and she marched off after them. Shaking his head, the lieutenant colonel looked back at Barakas. Sergeant Major, get them loaded in the trucks and back to base. Aye, aye, sir, Barakas said, then started snapping out orders. Marines jumped into action left and right. Captain Spader, Michael said, you're with me. I want to report on what just happened. Aye, sir, Spader said, following his CO as they turned and walked away. Later, sitting in the back of the truck and the way to Tolkien, Bradford turned to Rin. What do you think is going to happen to her? I don't know, Jabs, he said, shaking his head. I don't know. She nodded, resuming their silent ride back to base. She couldn't help but note that his ears were low, though, and he did not look optimistic at all. End of part two. And that, my friends, concludes this video. I hope that you enjoyed, and if you do, please consider supporting the author, even by popping over and leaving a thumbs up or a nice comment just to show your appreciation for the story. However, if you wish to support this channel, there are links down below which will help immensely. I will see you all in the next one. And until then, I hope that you have a fantastic day. Cheers.